Hello, everybody. Uh, this is the Talk to Defeat ALS podcast. I am your host, Tony Heil, and I'm the Director of Communications at the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter. Uh, we are bringing this podcast back to educate the ALS population, uh, those who care for people with ALS, the medical community, research community, um, all those who donate and support our cause, to inform you of what we're doing as a chapter, um, things you might need to know about the latest in ALS, and, of course, to, to educate you and keep you aware of things that are going on as the COVID-19 pandemic uh, continues to change our way of life, both as um, our greater country, our world, and as an AL, our ALS association. Before I get into today's guest, um, which is Stephen Spald- Steve Spalding, our Director of Care Services with the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter, I'd like to just let you know that you should uh, visit our website at www.alsphiladelphia.org and follow us on social media at ALS Philadelphia. And uh, today I would like to thank uh, one sponsor. Uh, we always want to thank a different sponsor. And today I'd like to thank First Keystone Community Bank. They have sponsored the Berwick Walk to Defeat ALS and are a great ally in our cause. You can find their website at www.fkc.bank. Uh, so with that in mind, I want to introduce Steve Spalding, our Director of Care Services, who has been very, very busy these past few weeks, um, even busier than normal probably. So Steve, thank you for... Uh, Joining me virtually today. Absolutely, Tony. Happy to be here. Um, happy to be wherever you are, right? <laughs> exactly, yes. Uh, so time and space is kind of odd lately, um, and that's because of this pandemic. Uh, so before we go into some of the things we want to discuss about how uh, our chapter is helping people at this time, especially, um, can you tell me a little bit about how people with ALS are at an increased risk when it comes to this pandemic of COVID-19 or the coronavirus? Sure. Um, So the ALS, as many folks know, is a disease that affects uh, the respiratory status um, at some point. And obviously any disease, as most people know at this point, because COVID-19 has taught us a lot in the last couple of months, um, COVID-19 is very much a respiratory uh, illness and impacts people's respiratory status. And some of its worst symptoms and most um, uh, concerning symptoms are related to the impact that COVID-19 makes on the respiratory system, on your breathing. So for folks with um, ALS, uh, this is a particular concern because uh, the disease of ALS affects the respiratory status, and then when you have the potential of contracting COVID-19 and having your respiratory status impacted, uh, that that's really kind of potentially a perfect storm. So a lot of families are, are justifiably concerned to really limit their exposure to COVID-19 and um, ensure that they keep themselves as safe as possible while still going about living their lives and trying to, um, you know, enjoy what they do. And I know from my personal experience at the chapter over many years, and you know through your work, of course, many people who pass away who have ALS have often passed away from something like pneumonia um, when they're in a weakened state, right? So they're very susceptible to diseases like this. Yes. Yeah, even under the most normal circumstances, uh, someone uh, impacted by the disease of ALS uh, is going to have to watch for respiratory illnesses of many types, uh, things that we're very familiar with and are part of our routine daily lives, 
but have a much bigger outsized impact on somebody with ALS than they may have on uh, someone who uh, is not at high risk. And I know from our Help and Hope Symposium, and people can go to um, helpandhopeals.org to see our videos from that or go to our YouTube page, um, that people, when they go to clinics, if you have ALS, many of them will actually see a respiratory therapist during the progression of their disease, right? Yeah, the, the respiratory therapist is an integral part of a clinic normally for any ALS clinic. And um, so that's something that somebody who attends clinic, uh, they expect to see a respiratory therapist typically, um, either at every clinic they go to or certainly on a couple of times a year depending on how their disease process is going. And so, you know, again, that just sort of highlights the point we've been talking about, about the respiratory impact. Now, under the current circumstances, of course, uh, attending clinic takes a lot of forms. And thankfully, uh, we've been able over the last couple of months to ensure that a clinic is available to folks remotely and through telemedicine. And that has been a huge um, positive in the midst of a challenging situation because, obviously, uh, the less a person with ALS has to go out and about into the community and specifically into a hospital in some situations, uh, the better because that's less exposure to potentially contracting COVID-19. And so the ability to attend clinic, quote-unquote, remotely, which typically looks like getting on your computer and seeing the doctor or the nurse or the therapist on the other end of the screen, looking at each other, they can actually ask you through your phone and your iPhone to assess some of your symptoms, uh, observe some of what you're, you're dealing with, and then make recommendations and diagnoses and other things of that nature. So it, it really is um, very, very helpful. Obviously, everybody, for the most part, prefers to be in person, and we're trying to get back to that point where we are in person in our clinics and in our services. But in the meantime, these are critical things to keep us uh, linked and to be able to make sure that we're taking care of folks in a safe way in the midst of all this. So you, I remember from talking with uh, some of our nurses and care staff that your team, our chapter's team, was able to turn things around very quickly once this pandemic um, really started to take hold. Uh, how quickly did they were they able to uh, change to continue providing care? Well, I, I think in our region, if I remember correctly, uh, um, I believe we, we heard that COVID-19 hit in a real way on a Thursday. And by the following Tuesday, uh, we were already mobilizing and uh, getting um, remote services in place. And I would say by the end of that following week, we already had um, the, the basic structure in place. By the following week, we were, we were really getting it, it um, moving and, um, and making that available to folks. So very quickly, uh, we, we committed ourselves, as I think you mentioned earlier at the beginning, that how busy are we right now? We're, we've been very busy, as you might imagine, and that's one of the things we've been busy doing is making sure that we got those services up and running as quickly as humanly possible um, so that we could provide uh, remote services to people. And, that, and now I'm speaking on behalf of the chapter services. So, for instance, uh, when a social worker, a chapter social worker, would have perhaps met with somebody in person in their home, but that's not a safe 
appropriate thing to do right now, uh, they can now meet remotely with that individual through what we call ALS On Demand, which is um, a remote service that allows them to get on, in our case, Zoom, and see the person and interact over their computer screen and ours or their iPhone or their iPad or, or, or other type of mobile phone. So it's worked really well and it's been, it's had a, uh, I think, again, in person would be best, but I think this has been a good uh, secondary thing that we've been able to do to, to help folks. And, you know, I'm from Pittsburgh, so I am a Steelers fan. Um, and I say that because it reminds me of the Steelers in the 70s. They were very good from, like, 74 on, but that was partly because they built in the draft years before. So, you know, they had a winning team, a winning team, and then they won. And just like with this, like, we didn't just suddenly decide to have telehealth and tele and other kind of virtual visits. Your team had been preparing for reaching out to more people for months and years before this. So, so you were prepared, even though this was unexpected. Yeah, definitely. I mean, between the clinics and our services, telemedicine was certainly not something that was invented the day we heard about COVID-19. Um, it's been something that's been um, uh, in the works and and underway for years and um, people have been building towards that we in the ALS community have been building towards it and so we were prepared um, to a degree to um, address this and thank God we did you know somebody said to me the other day can you imagine if this COVID-19 situation had hit in 1994 Um, we would not have had any of these options we would simply have been able to say well we'll try to get on a phone with somebody and that's the best we can do is, is a phone call and hope that that suffices until we can get there in person in some way, shape, or form. All this technology and ability is relatively recent and even more recent And what COVID-19 has done is accelerated the whole process dramatically. So what we, what we were doing on the scale of perhaps a few people or a percentage of population is now done with much, 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 much larger numbers of people and a huge percentage of the ALS community to help support them in in the midst of this. Right. So you guys were already prepared. The technology existed now. So if it was in 94, it'd be a lot different. Um, And I think that just shows to the value of people who've sponsored us and donated to us over the years that this is just like what I mentioned, the Steelers and sorry, I can't really equate it to the Eagles in the same way. Um, But it was that buildup. So you you had things built up, so you were um, you were ready for the moment as best as possible. You ha- you had the strengths there, um, and I did talk with some of the folks on the team that because you're not driving, your team will make house visits. Um, they cut down on the drive time because it's virtual. So you might instead of seeing one or two people in a day, might see f- six or seven, right? Yeah, we can now, um, you know, typically to give you a scenario, an individual who lived 45 minutes away or perhaps two or three hours away, we have a large region we cover, um, that would be most of a day or, or a half a day commitment to see that one individual. And of course, we're happy to do that and we're looking forward to doing it again, but mm-hmm. uh, it did limit our ability to cover as many folks at one time. So what would happen now is we can do an ALS on demand, a remote visit, and we can hang up with that individual and get right back on with the next person. So if four people come to us and really need to see us in one sh- 
one form or another within a single day, we can do that very comfortably or even more. Um, whereas if we were seeing them in person, uh, that would be a struggle because, you know, there's only so many hours in a day and you have to build in the drive time and, uh, and all of that. So it really does make a difference in terms of the impact we can make for folks. And sort of a silver lining to a situation that's been very challenging is our ability to reach more people um, in a shorter amount of time, to your point. Yeah, I think that um, as some someone who cares so much about the ALS community on my end, I know all of us do. Um, it's very rewarding to me to know that your services from our care services department is just as robust as ever, um, just in a different way. Yeah, exactly. And um, and one of the things you know that as we transition now to the uh, the green phase, so to speak, uh, for many people in our region or thereabouts, um, one of the things that's uh, that's our newest venture and our newest concern is really trying to reach out to our community and talk about how do you manage your safety plan in the midst of these changes because as we move away from sort of a collective plan where the the state governments or the federal governments say this is what you need to do in these situations as a person who's at high risk Individuals and their families now have to start making more and more decisions about how they will handle certain situations and how they will manage their safety plan for themselves moving forward. Yeah, I agree. So um, right now I'm, I'm concerned because you see the word green, the color green kind of means go. So people see that and they think, well, now things are fine or they hear about certain things opening. So what are, what are the recommendations that your team is making so that people continue to be aware and be safe? Well, some of the things that we're definitely doing um, to help people understand that is, first of all, to understand that, that their situation is not necessarily the same as the general population. You know, it, it, if people think that, well, if, if you're living with ALS, you know that, but not necessarily. I mean, we all think of ourselves as kind of going with the flow, you know. And so, you know, the idea that, okay, I need to take different precautions than someone else, that may occur to someone right away. It may not occur to someone right away. So part of what we're trying to do is kind of get the word out and help people understand that, you know, you're in a different category. You're in a high-risk category. And so you want to make decisions based upon that that might be different than the general population. So you might see people walking into, you know, the local Wawa or walking around town or walking in and out of homes who, for whatever reasons, have made decisions to have few or no precautions in place for themselves or those around them. But you probably have a different scenario that you should have in mind for yourself. And also an expectation of people around you about what they should respect and what they should do to help you and keep you safe. Yeah, and so we care for 1,200 people with ALS in any given year is how we describe our work. But those people all have, almost all have at least one caregiver in their life. Many of them have um, a young person in their house or, you know, a spouse and someone else, a nurse. So these precautions are not just for that person with ALS, but we want to make sure that their caregivers also stay COVID-free if they can. Absolutely. Um, recently, I, I sent out a, a letter um, in our newsletter, and um, one of the things I addressed in that was 
uh, the idea that you want to have a safety plan for yourself and you want others to know about it. And that would include your caregivers, your loved ones, uh, family, and really helping them understand it and helping yourself understand it. So instead of just sort of going day by day and saying, well, I'll see what happens, it's more of the idea that you're going to have a specific safety plan in mind. And to give an example of that would be, for instance, to say, okay, if I'm going to have visitors in my home, maybe other people for, have made decisions that they're going to do one thing, but I'm still going to have people come into my home wearing a mask. I'm still going to have people coming into my home washing their hands. Um, I still have an expectation of anybody, whether it's a professional healthcare provider or whether it's a chapter person visiting or whether it's a family member um, visiting or a friend, that I would ask them to practice these precautions out of respect for me and what I need to remain safe and healthy. So whatever choice, you know, my buddy Joe might make about what he chooses to do right now to keep himself safe, I would ask my buddy Joe to wear a mask and wash his hands when he comes into my home to visit with me as my safety precaution, my plan. And I would tell him that, and I would share that with my family and friends in a positive way to say, look, you love me, you care about me, and I'm asking you to respect my wishes so that I can remain healthy and um, and steer clear as much as possible from this. And for all of us, I think that that's um, an awareness that we should be concerned about others. There's the phrase, my mask protects you, your mask protects me, right? So, um, you know, my mom has MS, uh, other people have other diseases, and they may be compromised, so I'm going to protect myself, not just out of my own concern, but, you know, it's an altruistic thing to care about others. Yeah, it really is. Um, we tend to think about, um, I think, the the climate right now in terms of how this, this conversation is happening around COVID-19 tends to focus on us as individuals. So I'm glad you brought that up, Tony, that I think for, from a healthcare perspective, from the perspective of this conversation, we're thinking of it more in terms of others and in terms of uh, making sure that others are safe and well. So when I uh, think about um, our team going out to see people, we're not just choosing to not do in-person services because we want to keep ourselves healthy. Um, actually, first and foremost, we're doing it to make sure that we keep the families we serve healthy. So, yes, it, it protects us, but most importantly, it protects individuals living with ALS and their loved ones. And so it is about the us, not the, the me, you know. Um, the person with ALS um, is probably just as concerned about um, COVID-19 being contracted by their loved ones and their family and those who care for them as much as they're concerned about um COVID-19 exposure for themselves. It represents a risk for all of us to a certain degree. Um, and so, you know, it is about us altogether. So being able to institute things in your personal safety plan is really thinking about others as well as about yourself. So for instance, a good example of that concretely is if I'm getting a group of people together, maybe I've made a choice that I feel it's safe enough. And by the way, Many will decide it's not safe enough, and that's perfectly fine. But there may be some folks who say, you know what, I feel it's safe enough to get together with a group of friends or family and celebrate my birthday or, or an anniversary or whatever the case may be. How do you do that safely? Well, if you're gonna, if, if you're gonna think about doing that, 
one of the things you can do is make sure that perhaps you do it outside, mm-hmm. right? Another thing you can talk about is to make sure that everybody that's coming has a clear idea of what is your safety plan. So, hey, you know, your your cousin Betty um, is from a different part of the country and doesn't isn't particularly concerned about COVID-19, but she comes here and you say, you know what, I need you to wear a mask. And maybe I have a couple of masks on hand in my home for folks that for whatever reason don't have one or didn't bring one with them. You know, to say, hey, you know, and no, when you get here, I'm going to ask you to wear a mask. I love to see you. I'm enjoying, I'm looking forward to our visit, but, but I'd, I'd really ask you to wear a mask. And instead of that hug, you know, that, that everybody loves and we all want, maybe you say, listen, just, just give me an air hug or blow me a kiss or, you know, um, something else that, that represents our affection towards one another, you know, um, rather than something that might expose both of us to COVID-19. Right. Yeah. And I know I have seen a few people with ALS have shared pictures on social media or emailed them to us on some ways that they have gotten together. Like um, they're eating outside in a parking lot and pulling their cars in a circle. And so it seems like people are being creative while at the same time being safe. Yeah. Yeah. And I and and I think that, you know, if it if it's done thoughtfully and it's done with with some science and some some you know, real thinking behind it, I think it can be okay. You know, folks can decide um, that I could get creative. I could do some things to improve my quality of life. Uh, It doesn't have to be an and-or. And by the way, for some folks it is, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, some people, I know people who have said to me, I am not leaving my home. Um, I feel that COVID-19 is a grave risk for me, and I'm not getting together with folks. You know what? That's perfectly fine. It's very appropriate. You have to do what you feel is best for you. And and the people around you should respect that and honor that. On the other hand, some, some other individuals, as you just said, Tony, have said, well, I'd, I'd like to get creative about this. I think I can do some things, but I want to do it in a safe way, as safe as possible. So let me think about doing that. How could I do that? And put these visits together in, in a thoughtful way. We've all seen the things on Facebook about, you know, get-togethers that have caused COVID-19 to spread. Well, in most of those cases, they were not thoughtfully put together. People just got together, went back to doing what they do normally, and there were no precautions in place. There was not, no plan, no thought about how they were going to do it. And unfortunately, it, it exposed folks, and, and we hope and pray they're okay. But there's a lesson there. And the lesson is that that's probably not a good idea, in particular for people who are at high risk, like folks living with ALS and their loved ones who care for them. So that's where you have the opportunity to say, "What you know what, let's put a plan together. If we're getting together, we don't just do this willy-nilly. We, we, have, a, we have a clear idea of what we're going to do. Everybody knows what the plan is. Everybody has agreed to the plan. And you know what? If you get, you know, we all have folks that don't agree to things. You know, I have my rights. I want to do it my way and, um, and to heck with, with what you think. And as I tell people, you know, uh, it's a free country. Uh, you, you have the right to think what you want to think, but you do have to respect other people's wishes. So if you have a get-together and you got that uncle who says, well, the heck with you. I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do, and, and I'm not going to respect your safety plan, then you have to just kind of say, well, you know what, uh, maybe we'll get together some other time then. You know, this isn't, this isn't our time to get together because I need folks to respect this so that I can feel safe about the way we're getting together right now.
Right. And I know that, you know, sometimes people think, oh, I live in a more sparsely populated area. We have, you know, in our territory of cities like Philadelphia, and then we have places like Berwick, which is smaller, um, though there's a lot of great people in Berwick. Uh, and if those, those hospitals, if they get 10 cases, it might be worse to have 10 hospitalizations in a rural hospital than 100 in Philadelphia because there's no space and what will that do to the ALS population so sometimes it's hard to really understand the context when you can't see it and thankfully our care team is there to listen um, so our care team is still working to keep people safe even in these times um, is there anything special that you've seen that um, we're doing that people should know about if uh, if I was a person with ALS and I was a little bit confused, like, what should I do now? What should I do now with our chapter if I was a person with ALS? Sure. Well, I'm glad you asked that because there's a couple of things that we have been doing and that we're encouraging people with. One is I mentioned a little earlier that I sent out, you know, this letter in, this, in the newsletter. So um, please take a look at it. It goes out to everybody in our chapter. If for whatever reason you missed it or didn't get it, um, you can reach out to me or reach out to you, Tony, and we will certainly get it to that individual. But there's some specific details spelled out there that can be helpful to people in terms of developing a safety plan and thinking about what they can do moving forward. And that's one of the things we're doing as a chapter is to educate people and provide some guidance and walk through the thought process with them about what their safety plan is. Now, those are generalities. Those are places you can go online and look. Uh, I always like to offer to folks the opportunity to get together directly and have a, di have a discussion because uh, sometimes people need that and they want that. And that's part of what we do as the chapter. So I've offered my name and my phone number, my direct number, and my um, email. And I mean it when I say to people, reach out to me. You know, I'm happy to walk through your safety plan with you, talk about what makes sense for you, and, you know, it's the old adage, two heads are better than one. I think you'll have a good plan coming out of that conversation. You may be very close to your social worker, your nurse in the chapter. Um, feel free to reach out to the person in our chapter that you're connected with. Many of our families are very connected with their social worker in my care services team. Connect with them. They'd be happy to get a call from you or an email and talk about or communicate with you about what your safety plan is. What are the things that you might want to do? What are your concerns? What do you feel good about? You know, and walk through that. So that's a big part of our, our work right now is the broad education as well as very specifically walking quote-unquote hand-in-hand with individuals to help them develop a plan through this transition that makes sense for them and to make it individualized for them you know um that that's part of what we're trying to do yeah and, and as you said individualized i know that um als is not a one-size-fits-all disease nor is the treatment and your team is there to make sure everyone gets the individual plan that they need which can be complicated but you know, we, we don't see people as 1,200 names on a, numbers on a sheet. They're all unique um, cases and people, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is, that's, of course, always our philosophy and always our mission and always the way we operate. But I think in particular right now, that is, that is really critical because this is uncharted territory for just about everyone. And so the idea that you can walk through this 
situation, talking to somebody, and really kind of thinking through exactly what this means for you, how you feel about it, what you think makes sense for you, what are the facts and the science so that you can make good, um, educated decisions, because that's part of it too. Maybe I don't understand what the risks are. Maybe I don't really know what this green means, or maybe I really don't know what I should be doing. Hey, that's a great conversation. Let's have that conversation to talk about what makes sense for you and what the science and what the facts are saying right now um, so you can make the most educated decision you can. Finally, I just want to ask, you know, this year, is, I think most people would agree, is not the best when it comes to, you know, the news, when it comes to this pandemic, how it's affecting all of us. Uh, but we're going to come out of it. it. We're going to have a new year in 2021, and hopefully um, this will pass. How do you think that this is going to make us stronger as an organization to care for people with ALS? Well, I think one of the things that it's done for us as an organization, as a chapter, as an ALS community, um, both here in our region as well as across the country, is it's really helped us see and actually experience uh, different ways of doing things. You know, um, we thought about, we talked about, and to some degree we had been involved with doing some of these other ways like remotely supporting people. And that's not just on our end, not just on the chapter end. That, that's part of our ALS community. Think about, you know, your average individual who's at home living with ALS. They had very little experience or comfort level with this remote interaction with people who could support them. But suddenly they themselves, just like us, were thrust into this situation where they needed support and they had to find a way to connect remotely to get that support. So they've developed skills at a comfort level that they didn't have before, just as we have, mm -hmm. you know? And I think what's gonna be different coming out of this, again, one of those silver linings to a challenging situation is, we're gonna have more tools in our toolbox. You know, we're gonna be able to say, okay, I can do a home visit in two weeks for one individual, um, and that's fine because it's routine and they really just want to connect with me in the next two weeks. I've got another person who needs to talk to me as soon as possible. I can't get out to their home. It's three hours away, but I can get on the computer and talk to them this afternoon, and that's what they need. They need to see me and talk to me this afternoon. That's the real positive impact of having new tools in our toolbox is being able to do more for people than we could before. And so, you know, obviously none of us is happy about the COVID-19 situation and so many other challenges we're living through right now. But some of the silver linings are, are these things. And I think we're going to be uh, able to do more for people uh, more effectively moving forward because this will be additional things we can add to the toolbox that we didn't have before in addition to everything we've always done and will continue to. Terrific. And if you have questions that you'd like to ask Steve about, um, you know, your own plan, can I give your email here, Steve? Absolutely. Yep. It's steve at alsphiladelphia.org. Of course, very um, creative. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, you can find all of our staff that way. And you can, <laughs> and you can find all of our staff contact at 
alsphiladelphia.org and go and search for care services if there's someone that you need to talk to that's local to you. Um, and Steve obviously will help you directly or direct you to who is best. Um, and again, if you can support our cause, please go to alsphiladelphia.org and donate. Um, your donations have made it possible for us to continue strong during this time and will help us to be stronger as we come through this pandemic so we can be there for all families affected by ALS. Uh, please share and comment and rate this podcast. Uh, let us know what you think. And email me with any other podcast guests or suggestions you have at tony at alsphiladelphia.org. Uh, thanks so much, Steve, and good luck with everything you're doing. Um, I think we have a lot of reasons to be proud of what's happening with our care team. Well, thanks, Tony. I appreciate that, and, and thanks for the opportunity to uh, get some of this out to our ALS community. It's it's all it's all good. Great, and I and I know I speak for both of us when I say I can't wait to see all of you in person as soon as possible. <laughs> Absolutely, we we all share that. <laughs> All right, and thank you, and again, join us as we talk to defeat ALS, or walk to defeat ALS, or ride to defeat ALS. You can do it all by going to alsphiladelphia.org. Thank you.